Welcome. Welcome back. Welcome home. This is Tracy, and we want to thank you for being a part of the Life Together podcast. Before we get into this week's teaching, we want you to know that you matter to God and you matter to us. Life Together is a Wednesday evening gathering for worship, Bible study, and community here at Oak Creek Assembly of God in Oak Creek, Wisconsin. There is a famous Broadway theater actress named Kristen Chenoweth, and about 10 years ago, Kristen Chenoweth was doing auditions for a special high school theater camp in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And uh, the process was is that there were about 80 different high school students that had to audition for six spots. So it was very, very competitive. And 10 years ago, I got hired to come be the audition pianist. So what that means is that uh, for two days straight, 40 students each day, they would come in and they would perform their audition piece to see if they would get selected. And then I would sit there at the piano and sight read whatever piece they had brought in to audition with. This story is called A Backdoor Compliment, which means the story is not about me playing piano really well, but I'm just sliding that in there. So what was so funny about the setup for this is that you're in this giant, it was like a 2,000 seat uh, performing arts center, and the stage in those places is just huge. And whatever custodian set up the audition table and piano didn't know how everything was going to work. So what they did is they like way over to this side of the stage, they had the grand piano and they had the three judges that were over here on this side. But then the door the students were walking in, I promise you, was a solid like a hundred feet over this way. And so (laughs) all day long we're watching students walk in that door and then walk a hundred feet over to audition. I don't know if you've ever been into a job interview or like a meeting with your boss where you're nervous about this. And if you're really nervous and you're a little shaky about the whole experience, when you walk in the door to that person's space, you really want to get to a chair just as soon as possible. And so we would watch 80 students in a row have to awkwardly walk a hundred feet across the stage. We began to like stereotype different types of walking that we would see. There was like the sloucher that you're like, she's never going to get here. And then <laughs> there was like the, the speed walkers, right? They would come in and they'd be like, hi, my name's Sarah. I'm from Broken Arrow High School. And I'm a freshman. And, and then there were the ones who like couldn't make up their mind. They would kind of start off and then like speed up and almost kind of like move to a, a jog and then like partially turn around and leave and then come back. And so I was good friends with the people that were judging uh, the applicants. And so we began to play a little game when the students weren't in the room. And we began to see if we could guess how well they were going to perform based on how they walked into that room and to see how accurate we were. I'm guessing you do similar things like this with other areas that you're interested in, whether or not it's an athlete or it's a new person on the job or it's a new classmate in your studies that you would kind of guess off these first appearances if I can guess how good or bad, who are the winners and losers going to be. I want to challenge your thinking tonight that maybe we aren't as good at picking winners and losers as we think we are. I'm going to turn your Bible tonight to the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 17, verses 1 through 3. It reads like this. The Philistines now mustered their armies for battle and camped between Soko in Judah and Azekah at Ephes Damim. Saul countered by gathering the Israelite troops near the valley of Elah. So the Philistines and Israelites faced each other on opposite hills 
with the valley between them. Can we pray as we get started tonight? Father, I thank you for your word. You didn't leave us alone. You gave us your word that we would know you. We would have a pathway towards relationship with you. And I pray that as we dive into your word tonight, that your Holy Spirit would be moving and active in this room. Allow us to be transformed by your word. Allow us to be the people who listen to your spirit and are willing to be shaped. We love you. We give you praise. We give you the seat of honor in this house tonight. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. The two largest cities in Israel today are Tel Aviv and Jerusalem. And these two cities in Israel are a great example of the two great locations for cities to exist in Israel based on its natural terrain. So Tel Aviv is right along the coast. It will connect you to the Mediterranean Sea and all the other coastal areas. Tel Aviv itself is only about 100 years old, but there's always been cities, large cities, in Israel along that coastal area because it just makes sense. It's a very connected place to be in. The other area is where Jerusalem's at. Jerusalem is only 40 miles away from Tel Aviv, but it's at a significantly higher elevation. And so you're going to travel those 40 miles up through all of these hills and valleys to come into the high ground, and that's where Jerusalem is, and that's where the other group of cities in Israel are located. So you have this kind of one swatch of land up against the sea, and you have this another swatch that's up into the mountains. In between it, you have this natural barrier of hills and valleys. So the Valley of Elah would be one of the passageways from the shore up to the high ground that is Jerusalem. This Valley of Elah is where some of the greatest battles of all history have been fought. So the Maccabean Wars were fought in this valley. Many of the Crusades were fought in this valley, but no battle is more famous than the famous between a giant named Goliath and a young teenager named David. When David was in his youth, the nation of Israel was also in its youth. King Saul was the very first king of Israel, and during that time period in their history, there was a lot to be unsure about. The greatest enemy they had at this time was the Philistines, and the Philistines controlled the coastal area. So they were a seafaring people, and that was the area that they controlled. And as they desired to expand their territory, they wanted to get the high ground. They wanted to get the area of Jerusalem. And so as they began to expand, they moved their troops towards the high ground, and they moved them through the Valley of Elah. So if I would just describe what this positioning would look like, you would have the Philistines up on one hill, and when Saul hears that this is happening, he then sends his troops out, and his troops are going to show up on the other side of the hill, and you end up with the Valley of Elah between the two, and you have two armies staring at each other, and no one wants to move first. So if you're the one to move first, the only way for you to attack is for you to come down into the valley, which is going to make you very vulnerable, and is going to undoubtedly turn into a bloodbath. And so they don't want to move first. They don't want to move first. No one's willing to back down, and they're stuck in place. So the idea of settling a large battle like this with one-on-one -on -one combat was actually a very familiar thing during this time in history. This was a great way to solve big disputes with the least amount of blood loss. Rather than sending these giant armies into this valley where there was just going to be numerous, numerous deaths, they could settle this with one-on-one -on -one combat. So the Philistines lead the way. The Philistines are the first person to step up and say, 
hey, we have a plan. We're going to send out our greatest warrior. His name is Goliath. And our best guess is that Goliath was six foot nine. Your Bible might say that he was nine feet tall. The reason that your Bible might say that is because that's based on one biblical source, but there's actually a more recent biblical source called the Dead Sea Scrolls, which is older, and that one would, would measure out to six foot nine. Six foot nine or nine foot regardless. The man was very, very tall. So six foot nine would make you above average for an NBA player today, but I have to point out it would make you radically above average for the height of people during Goliath's time period. So in ancient times in Israel, the average height of a man was five foot zero. So five foot nothing. If you're a man in this room and you're five foot six, you would have been the tallest dude on the basketball team. And so Goliath wasn't just a little bit taller. Goliath was massively taller than his, than his peers. In ancient warfare, there were three different kinds of warriors. There was the cavalry, which were armed men on horseback or chariots. There was the infantry, which were foot soldiers with armor. And then there were slingers, so artillery or archers or slingers, like slingshots. So out of these three options, here's your quiz for tonight. So which kind of warrior was Goliath? Anyone? Yeah, yeah, infantry. Right, so Goliath was infantry, and he wasn't just any infantry. He was the best of the best. Goliath was the elite professional. His armor consisted of an elaborate tunic made up of hundreds of overlapping bronze, like fish-like scales that would have gone all the way down to his knees. It covered his arms and probably weighed more than 100 pounds. He had a bronze helmet and bronze shin guards that connected to bronze plates over his feet. He had three weapons on him, so he had a thrusting javelin, he had a sword on his hip, and then he had a short-range spear that would have had a metal cord connected to it so that he could pull it back in to throw it again. First uh, Samuel 17.10 tells us what Goliath says when he comes running out, this elite professional warrior. This is what he says in verse 10 and 11. I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. When Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. I have two admonitions that I want to share with you tonight, things that I have felt the Holy Spirit weigh on my heart as I've been preparing this message for you. And I hope that these two challenges sink into your life and allow to bring a fresh perspective on the winners and losers in the kingdom of heaven. And here's the first one. Stop overestimating the enemy. Do you know what happens next in the story? Well, nothing does. Nothing happens because for 40 days, they are at a standstill. Goliath is coming out every day saying, who is willing to fight me? And no one is willing because everyone thinks that Goliath is invincible. The, and this is the one point that everyone agrees upon. So the Philistines believe that he's unbeatable. The Israelites believe he's unbeatable. Even King Saul believes that he is unbeatable. It is complete, he is completely convinced that this warrior cannot be taken down. Um, I learned this this week. Did you know that there was an article written about Goliath in the 1960s in the Indiana Medical Journal, which seems like a strange place to write an article about Goliath. The reason that this existed that was then corroborated by a lot of other evidence over the coming years in the 60s, 70s, is they wanted to figure out Goliath's height. 
which admittedly is challenging to do an autopsy on someone who's been dead for 3,000 years. But they knew that there had to be an explanation of why Goliath was so much taller than the people of his time. And what they came up with is they believe that Goliath had a disease. And so this disease creates a tumor on your pituitary gland, and it's what keeps you from not being able to stop growing. So you would grow, but unlike you or I that would stop growing in our you know, 16 to 26 range, you would never stop growing, and you would just keep getting taller and taller and taller. The actor Andre the Giant had this disease. Uh, the tallest man who ever lived uh, died at the age of 22, and he was still growing. He was nine feet tall. He had this disease, and his body just could not keep up with the growth. One of the side effects of this disease is really bad eyesight, because as that tumor grows, it's going to block off your access to your to your eyesight. And there's lots of really terrible things that happen with this disease. It's interesting to look at someone who you see as invincible and wonder again about their health. Did Goliath have some things wrong that we assumed were right? Think about his condition. Think about his age. Think about the 150 pounds of gear that this man is carrying out to battle. And it makes me want to reframe my thinking about Goliath maybe Goliath wasn't invincible. Goliath was a short-sighted, weighed-down, aging warrior. We as Christians slow down the progress of the kingdom of heaven when we overestimate the enemy. We can develop a bad habit of looking around and seeing a valley filled with invincible giants. This shows up in our thinking, and it sounds like sentences like this. My work culture will never change. The negative influence is too strong. My spouse will never serve the Lord. Their will is too stubborn. My family member will never reconcile. The riff is too wide. My child will never be free from addiction. The grip is too tight. We'll never see revival in this city. The darkness is too dark. I want to challenge you and encourage you tonight to stop overestimating the enemy. There was a, a preacher that I heard, oh, about six months ago at a pastor's conference that was here in town, and I'm sorry that I can't remember his name to give him credit, but he said something that really stuck with me, and he said this. He said, stop comparing America to Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah was not destroyed because it had so much evil. It was destroyed because it had so few righteous people. Abraham couldn't find 50. He couldn't even find 10. So if you can name 10 righteous people, don't give up. Don't lose hope. If you can name 50 righteous people, you should be encouraged that there is hope for your city and for your community and for your workplace and for this country. And if you went to church this last Sunday at Oak Creek Assembly of God with 2,000 people who love Jesus amongst a community with other churches in this city who love Jesus, who desire to see his kingdom come on earth just as it is in heaven, be encouraged. Don't overestimate the enemy. God can do amazing things, and that giant might not be as strong as he appears. Let's talk about David. We mentioned that there's three different kinds of warriors. There's the cavalry, the infantry, 
and slingers. Let's see if you can figure this out now. What type of warrior was David? Yeah, you got the game. You're doing really great. He was a slinger. Next question, what kind of warrior did Goliath think he was going to fight that day? Infantry, right. So Goliath was ready for a hand-to-hand combat. This is what everyone thought was going to happen. This is what King Saul thought was going to happen. This is why King Saul tried to put his armor onto David. Because King Saul is imagining a hand-to-hand combat. King Saul is imagining this little teenager being obliterated by one swipe of Goliath's sword. But David isn't an infantry. He's a slinger. So the longest distance weapon that Goliath had on him that day would have been his javelin. The world record for throwing a javelin is 98 meters. So that is longer than a football field. That is very impressive throw. David was holding a slingshot. The world record for the longest throw of a slingshot is 400 meters. That is over four football fields. That is much, much further. Ancient slingers were phenomenally accurate. There are stories of them hitting, hunting for birds out of the air with a slingshot. They could hit very specific targets from a long distance. If a slinger is is working, they're going to whirl that sling at about six repetitions in a single second, and it is going to send that rock flying towards you at faster pace than any Major League Baseball pitcher can pitch. So over 100 miles per hour, the impact of that stone is going to be the same impact at close range of a 45 caliber pistol. David is not holding a toy. Here's my second admonition for today. I want to encourage you to stop underestimating the people of God. No one in the Valley of Elah saw this coming. Everyone was underestimating this highly trained, agile shepherd boy. Why did David not need armor? He didn't need armor because Goliath was never going to catch him. Even if Goliath had perfect vision, he would never be fast enough to dodge the 100-mile-per-hour rock coming straight towards his face. Why did, why did no one see this? Why did no one understand that in this setting, under these circumstances, David was absolutely the superior warrior on this day? David had the advantage, and no one saw it. We as Christians can slow down the progress of the kingdom of heaven when we underestimate the people of God. We can develop a bad habit of looking around and seeing the people of God as inexperienced teenagers. This comes out in our thinking this way. It sounds like sentences like this. I can't influence my work culture. I'm not brave enough. I can't witness to my neighbors. I'm not experienced enough. I can't love my broken family. I'm not strong enough. I can't pray for miracles and healing. I'm not holy enough. David was very aware of the superpower that he was wielding that day, and it was not his slingshot. As David is running out into the battlefield with a deadly weapon in his hands, this is what he says in verse 45 and 46. You come to me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today, the Lord will conquer 
you. If you are in Christ, if you have surrendered the lordship of your life to him, to his plans, to his ways, I want to tell you tonight with everything inside of me, I want to remind you and encourage you, you have the divine advantage. God is on your side. The one who breathed your life into existence, the one who spoke this universe to be, is on your side, and the people of God should not be underestimated. God is on your side. The apostle, saw, the apostle Paul said it this way in the book of Romans. This is Romans chapter 8, verses 28 to 31. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes. For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with him. And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory, the divine advantage. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can be against us? If you are in Christ, God has given you a divine advantage reserved for the people of God. If you feel discouraged today, I want to encourage you to lift your eyes up. You are not an inexperienced teenager. You are a highly trained, giant-killing machine. If you feel inadequate today, I want to encourage you to lift your eyes up. You are not an inexperienced teenager. You are a force to be reckoned with, and you are wielding a secret weapon that is the divine advantage given to you by the God who made this universe. You are not alone. God is on your side. There's a very interesting episode that occurs one chapter before the story of David and Goliath. And it is the moment where this great prophet uh, Samuel shows up to David's house to pick out the next king of Israel. And he shows up and he does what I am guilty of doing way too often, what you are guilty of doing way too often. And he chooses a man-made pathway to, de to determine man-made talent and abilities. And so the person he looks at is David's oldest brother. He's the firstborn. His name is Eliab. And when he begins to walk forward to choose Eliab to be the next king, this is what God tells Samuel in verse 7. He says, Don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. I want God to give us this spiritual insight today in the way that we view ourselves. I want God to give us this spiritual insight today in the way that we view the people of God. Don't overestimate the enemy and don't underestimate the people of God. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that you're here with us in this place. I want to pray for anyone in the room tonight who feels less than, who feels discouraged, who feels like an inexperienced teenager walking through life. 
I pray, Lord, that you would teach us the pathway towards bravery. I pray, Lord, that you would teach us to not rely upon our own strength or our own wisdom, but I pray that you would give us the confidence of a David sprinting out onto the battlefield to know whose hand we're in, to understand who is on our side, and that in our brokenness, we would see your strength. I pray for the people in this room who are facing a specific battle right now, who are on the battlefield with a relationship that is broken, who are on the battlefield with a financial need, with a physical need, with a sickness or an illness. And I pray, Lord, that you would build up our faith tonight. I pray that you would raise us up and allow us to walk forward with a confidence grounded in who we are in Christ. I pray, Lord, that you would allow us to be people with spiritual insight as we go into our world. There might be some teenager in our lives that we have access to, one of our children, one of our students, someone in a class, someone that we interact with here at the church, and you would like us to not underestimate them. Allow us to be the people who see with spiritual eyes the people of God and the full capabilities of your kingdom. This is a church that you have set into this city for a specific time, for a specific role. And I pray, Lord, that you would allow us to be mighty warriors in your name. I pray that you would teach us to be confident and strong and to rely fully on you. We need you. You are our God. I thank you for this night. I thank you for the people that you've allowed us to worship together with tonight. I thank you for the sweet community of faith that we have here. And I pray that you would carry each one of us as we leave this place lifted up by your plan, by your love and affection, and by the power that is backed up by every word that you speak. We love you. We give you praise. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for being with us for the Life Together podcast. It's even better when we get to see you in person. You are invited to join us on Wednesday evenings here at Oak Creek Assembly of God. We are a church that exists to reach our world for Christ as we lead people to discover and become who God has created them to be. Find us online at oakcreekag.org.